0: When I was in seminary, probably the most popular, not probably, the most popular professor on campus was Howard Hendricks. Most students, guys like Chuck Swindoll, David Jeremiah, still refer to him as prof, the grand master teacher. And he loved to tell a story about when he was a freshman back in the late 1940s at Wheaton College, And he went out to run one morning on the track to get some exercise, and there was another student there. And so the other student invited Howie to run with him, and they ran around the track. And being a couple of young bucks, you couldn't just run side by side. You had to get those competitive juices going. So the guy was a little faster than Howie was comfortable with. So they went around the track, and Howie stayed up with him. And he was ready to keel over when the student said, let's do another lap. And Howie said, another lap. So, but he couldn't, couldn't say no. He had to do it. He was a young college freshman, and this guy wasn't going to outshine him. Well, they got halfway around the second way, and Howie just said, i got to get a breather. And what he discovered later was the student he was running with was a man named Gil Dodds. It just so happened that during the 1940s, Gil Dodds held the American and the world record for the mile run. (laughs) But Gil Dodds gave Howie, as he was over there losing his breakfast on the side of the track, Gil said to him a statement that Howie used to uh, quote fairly often. It's not how you start the race that counts. It's how you finish the race. It's not how you start the race that counts. It's how you finish the race and as we read scripture we see characters who started the race well I think of King Saul the Israel's first king started out well he was a big tall man and everybody thought he was going to be the hero that would deliver them from their enemies and he did deliver Israel from many of their enemies But later in his life, Saul acted like an insane man. He was driven by his jealousy of David. He was driven by his passion to succeed at any cost. And two different times, the judge Samuel, the prophet Samuel, gave Saul specific instructions from the Lord, and Saul had a better idea. And so he was dethroned in God's eyes, and he died a broken man. Israel's first king. Israel's last king as a united nation was a man we all know, the man named Solomon, who wrote many proverbs, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Very wise man, built the great, great temple in Jerusalem. But he almost destroyed the nation that he built. After Solomon's reign, the nation split into two. Israel and Judah, and even had civil war. So these men started out well, and there are many others. But then we read of uh, Mary Magdalene in the New Testament, a woman who was deeply troubled. Jesus cast seven demons out of her. She had a bad start. But when Jesus was raised from the dead after his crucifixion, the first person he appeared to, was Mary Magdalene. Tough start, but what a great finish. And we read about Saul of Tarsus. We introduced him in Acts chapter 7 as the man who was uh, witnessing Stephen being stoned as the first Christian martyr. And went around the Roman Empire, at least uh, the eastern part of the Roman Empire, arresting Christians and having them put in prison, or worse, put to death. But he encountered Jesus Christ and became, not only after being the church's worst enemy, became the church's greatest missionary. Spreading the gospel around the Roman Empire, writing many, many letters, and 13 of Paul's letters are enclosed in our New Testament scriptures. Rough start, evil start, but what a finish. So, it's good to... Start well, but we have to finish well. And some of us finish well, but we have regrets over how we started. But there's a person I want to look at this morning who started well and finished well. And he's the man Joshua. We're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 1 primarily this morning, but reading the whole book of Joshua is a wonderful experience of, of, of meeting a man who started magnificently and finished magnificently. And Joshua's uh, life as described in the book of Joshua talks about three stages, three stages that occur in any kind of a relationship, whether it's a marriage or a job, or even in organizations, churches. We refer to it as APD, Arrival, Performance, Departure. Some people arrive well, some people perform well, some people depart well, but they seem to be the rare ones. And we read how Joshua arrived in chapters 1 through 5. I'll just give you a brief outline of the book of Joshua. We're not going to preach the whole book, by the way, but just so you on your own reading. The first five chapters talk about joshua's preparation and then how joshua prepared israel for the next phase of the book of joshua which is verses 6 through 22 which is his performance as israel's leader joshua is one of the great leaders in biblical history he's up there with moses and 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 david and paul and these great people but we don't hear as much about joshua But we want to just look a bit at him this morning. But that whole middle section of the book, chapters 6 through 22, talk about how Joshua did God's will in one of the most difficult tasks any leader has ever had to perform. Because the the chapters uh, uh, 6 through 13 talk about how Joshua led this, this band of people, this band of former slaves these people who had been born in the desert, who'd lived the first 40 years of their lives wandering around the desert, and now they're going into the land of Canaan to fight these great battles with these nations that have been there, some of them walled cities, trained soldiers. And Joshua had to look at this ragtag group he had and say, I have to trust God that we're going to be able to go in and reclaim this land that God promised to us through our ancestors. And then in chapters 14 through twenty. Two, we have the story of, of, of Joshua dividing the land up among the 12 tribes of Israel. And he succeeded at that as well, a very difficult task. Some people had oceanfront property. Some people were on the Sea of Galilee. That's nice real estate. Others were landlocked. Others were in kind of a desert area. And you can imagine Joshua saying to some of these tribal leaders, sorry, guys, this is your stuff. But he pulled it off. And he pulled it off well. And he performed well because he trusted God. And then in chapters 23 and 24, we have the story of of Joshua's departure. How he left his job. How he left Israel as, as his last days. So his arrival, his performance, and his departure were all very faithful to God. The first thing we see in chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, is that Joshua's formal leadership began with God's commission. God had a special set of instructions for Joshua because of the enormous task Joshua had to accomplish. But Moses mentored Joshua to prepare for this commissioning. Uh, This wasn't Joshua's first rodeo. Joshua had been leading under Moses. He had been Moses' uh, uh, helper, Moses' assistant over the years. In fact, in Exodus chapter 17, we see Joshua functioning as a military leader. So it began all the way back in Exodus, right after they came out of the uh, the land of Egypt. Joshua emerged as a very young man, but as the military leader. Then in Exodus 24 and uh, Exodus chapter 32, the two instances where Joshua is mentioned of going up on the mountain with Moses to receive the law from God. Others went halfway up, but it appears that Joshua was there very close to Moses while God was speaking to Moses on the mountain. And then Exodus chapter 32, when they were coming back down from the mountain, the first person Moses encountered was Joshua. So in this this huge moment in Israel's history that was uh, uh, primarily between God and Moses, but Joshua was there. Joshua witnessed that. And then we read this beautiful picture in Exodus chapter 33, where it says, now Moses used to make a tent and pitch it outside the camp of Israel, some distance away. He called it the tent of meeting. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, which signified God's presence, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide Joshua did not leave the tent. Joshua stayed behind. Moses had to get back and go to work and lead Israel. But Joshua, in that glorious time, stayed there in the presence of the Lord. That quiet, meditative time to soak in the reality of his God. So, this young man, Joshua, over many years was tutored, mentored by by the great leader Moses, so that when his moment came in Joshua chapter 1, he was ready. So, he was prepared to be the leader. But because of Moses' mentoring, Joshua was ready to be commissioned, and we read that commission in Joshua 1. I would invite you to read along with me. If you don't have your Bible, take a pew Bible there, because this is uh, an incredibly important story. I'm reading now from Joshua chapter 1. After Moses' death, the servant of the Lord... After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid... Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. I will give you every place where you have set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. "'No one will be able to stand against you "'all the days of your life. "'Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. "'I will never leave you nor forsake you. "'Be strong and courageous, "'because you will lead these people "'to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors "'to give them. "'Be strong and very courageous,' Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wow. Wow. Now it began, the book of Joshua, began with this bit of news. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. So here Israel is perched on the land of Canaan. They've got to get across the Jordan River with their families, their herds. The Jordan River was at flood stage during this time of year. We read later in the book. And this great, great leader named Moses, who had delivered the people under God's good hand out of the tyranny of the Egyptians, who had led them across the desert, who had got them at this really tough moment of looking across the thing and saying, you mean, we gotta go in there and whoop up on those people and take that land back? Tough job. Moses died. And I would suspect Joshua had a little bit of some issue. You mean I'm in charge now? I've got to take over now? Yeah. The Lord said to to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. And you're up, buddy. You've got to take care of the leadership. Now then, you and all these people get ready first across the Jordan River. How are you going to get that done? Well, God, we read miraculously, get them across the Jordan River and get into the land that I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your testimony will extend from the desert to your territory, pardon me, desert of Lebanon, from the great river to the Euphrates, all the way to the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea. All this land I'm going to give you. But guess what? (laughs) you got to take it. It's like a lot of things God says to us. I will bless you. I'll be there. But you're going to have to get it in gear and get it done. Joshua, you and I are going to team up on this. I'm behind you. But there are some very strong conditions attached to your success. I will bless you. I will help you if... It's called a conditional covenant. I promise to do these things, but you have to do these things. And Joshua's commission contained both, the privileges, the goodies, but also the responsibilities. And so as we look at this commission, we read first of all in verses one through four that this commission had to be carefully phrased because Joshua's task was overwhelming. Don't lose the fact that this was a, a, an, just an enormous, scary, petrifying task that was before Joshua. He had to protect all these families while they were going into war. Enormous task. So here's what God said to him about his task. First, be st- three times, three times, three times. He said, be strong and courageous. And then he said, be strong and very courageous. And then again, he said, be strong and courageous. Because if you're not strong and you're not courageous, you'll fail. Well, where does your strength and your courage come from? Well, first he said, be strong and courageous in verses 5 and 9. You can be strong and courageous because of God's presence. Look at verse 5. He said, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's how he opened the commissioning. And then in verse 9, how we close the condition... the the thing be strong and very courageous do not be afraid do not be discouraged for the lord your god will be with you wherever you go yes joshua it's an enormous task it's going to drain every bit of intelligence and wisdom and strength you have but i will never leave you i will never abandon you i'm at your side i've got your back I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And notice this, verse 5 and verse 9, the beginning and the end. It's like bookends. God began by saying, Joshua, you're not alone. I will never forsake you. I will be with you. And then he closed with the same phrases. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So, Joshua, your success isn't totally up to you. You're going to have to do your part. But realize you're never alone. And we read those same words in Hebrews 13 to the Christian, to you, and to me. God said, I've given you an enormous task. I've sent you into the world as my witnesses. I've sent you into the world to make disciples. In a world that sometimes is very hostile to the gospel, in a world that ridicules anyone who believes in God. But I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So as Joshua faced this overwhelming, enormous task, he knew that God's presence would be with him and give him direction and strength. And second, in verse 6, he said, Be strong and courageous because of God's promises. Look at verse 6. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So going all the way back to Abraham, when I called Abraham out of Ur the Chaldees and had him go across the the fertile crescent to come down here to this land, he said, go to a land that I will show you, and I will give you this land, and I will give it to your ancestors, and it'll be their land forever. It's your land. And then when Isaac was born to Jacob to Abraham and Sarah, God said to Isaac, you are the son of the covenant. This land is your land. I will give it to you. And then when Jacob was born, the son of, uh, of, of Isaac, God came to Jacob on num- numerous occasions and said, Jacob, this land is your land. I swore to give it to your father's. God said, when I called Moses out of Egypt, I said, I will take you from Egypt across the desert to the land that I promised to give to your nation. So uh, this idea that you're going in and displacing these folks who are in the land, and and it may seem kind of cruel to, to say to them, look, you guys can leave, or you can join up with us and become part of our nation, become Jews and accept our religion, or we're going to drive you out. And that won't be a pretty deal. And you say, well, how could they just go in and steal those people's land? It wasn't those people's land. It was Israel's land, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God had promised, it's your land. Think if you went home this afternoon and and you opened the door and somebody's sitting in your living room. You say, excuse me, uh, do I know you? No, I just thought I'd like to live here. (laughs) Seemed like a nice house. And you say, no, you're going to have to leave. He say, well, what kind of a cruel beast are you? Why can't I just live here? He said, because this is my house. I own it. You're going to have to leave. or I'm going to call the cops. Now, how many of us would say, oh, what a cruel Christian. You should just let them, you go live somewhere else and let them. No, it's your house. And so people will say, boy, that was a terrible thing. God let the Jews come in and drive out the Canaanites. No, the Canaanites were squatters. This was their land. And God said to Joshua, "I promise this to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to you, and to all of your descendants. This is your land. So, what you're attempting to do, what I'm calling you to do, is a very viable, real thing. So, God said this to uh, uh, Joshua: Be strong and courageous, because I am with you. Be strong and courageous, because you are." fulfilling a covenant that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob centuries ago. And you are a man of destiny leading your people into this land that is theirs. And then third, he said, be strong and courageous because of God's covenant in verses seven and eight. And this is the major part of this, of this commissioning that God gave to, uh, to Joshua. Uh, I will be with you Uh, This land is yours. I've promised it to you. But here are the conditions for your success, for this to work. Verses 6 and 7. And this is crucial, not only to Joshua, but for us to understand as well. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Let me read that again. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Don't deviate from the instructions I gave you through Moses. Don't turn from the right or to the left. Be careful to do all of it so that you may be successful wherever you go the key to the success of the christian enterprise is strict adherence to god's teaching about how we should live our lives he said keep this book of the law always on your lips it should characterize your speech when people ask you questions, when people wonder why you live the way you do, when you're answering questions to your children or to your grandchildren or to your neighbors, speak the words of God. Maybe not quoting the Bible all the time, but your, your mindset, your values, your goals, everything about you is characterized by God's teaching. It should be on your lips the only way it will be on your lips, he said, the next thing is meditate on it day and night. Think about it. Memorize it. When you're driving in your car, he didn't say that to Joshua because Joshua, when you're riding on your donkey, but when you're driving in your car, those quiet moments before you go to sleep, And sometimes you can't go to sleep because you're worried or frustrated, concerned about things. Shift. Sometimes I wake up. Sometimes, most often. Two, three o'clock in the morning. Anybody here? Yeah, and I have passages of Scripture that I start quoting. And the next thing I know, it's morning, and I'm awake. But it's a good way to settle the mind. It's a good way to rehearse, to rethink, who am I? What am I all about? Who is God? Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Don't turn from it to the left or the right. Let it be part of your conversation. Meditate on, on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Now, why so much emphasis on following God's teaching? Why the heart of this commission? Yes, I will be with you, and then closing, I will be with you. And you are fulfilling God's will. You are doing what God has ordained from centuries before, Joshua, that you should do is reclaiming this land that I promised to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob you are doing God's work, you are fulfilling God's will. But be very careful, if you're gonna fulfill God's will, you have to do it God's way. If you're gonna live the life God intended you to live, you have to follow the instructions God gave. And if you never read it, or meditate on it, or speak of it, you'll easily forget that you belong to God that God has written this book for our instructions. Do you ever think about it that way? I mean, this is just the instruction manual from the manufacturer. God invented life. He created life. He created us in his own image because he has a particular, specific plan for your life and for my life. And he saw how people were living. And he said, man, they're really messing this thing up. They need a book of instructions. They don't know how to live life. So I'm going to write a manual right here. And when life gets messed up, I was trying to fix my bicycle yesterday. I have an e-bike. It's kind of a little complicated. I piddled around with it and figured I'm smart enough to do this until I broke it again. and figured out, you know what, maybe I ought to just get the instructions and see what the guy who built this thing says I should, and it was fixed right, pretty quickly, didn't, you know, and, and if I can't fix a bicycle without reading the instructions, where am I in fixing a life or helping someone else fix their life when I don't read the manual? So God said to Joshua, the key to your success, the key to your effectiveness is following the directions and what he was doing, and the reason he put so much emphasis on that is if you go back to Deuteronomy 28 through 30, this is what's called the code of Deuteronomy. God says, in, this, in these chapters, I've given you all these laws. I've given you them in Genesis, I've rep- pardon me, in the book of Exodus and in Leviticus, and I just repeated it all over again in this book of Deuteronomy, which was the book of, named Deuteronomy, Deuteronomos, second giving of the law. So I've given you this law. Now you've got to act on it. And here's what he said. If you fully, This is Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And then he went and elaborated on what those blessings looked like. And then we come to verse 15 of the same chapter 28. However, <laughs> oh, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. That's called the code of Deuteronomy. You obey, life works. You ignore or disobey, life don't work so well. In Deuteronomy 30, he said, I, in, in summarizing some of this, see, God said, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, and I set before you death and destruction. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, And I have said before you blessings and curses. Now, choose life. Duh. (laughs) Yeah. So that you and your children may live. And so that you may love the Lord your God. And listen to his voice. And hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. Two options, life and death, prosperity or destruction. And there are two ways of reading this. Some say, well, that's all about you know God will do these nice things for you if you do it right, and God will do these bad things too if you don't. I I I I, I, I think about that. I believe God is real, and I believe God cares. And as we saw last week, I believe God cares enough to snatch me with his right hand and say, don't go in that direction. And to guide me with his dexterity of his his loving hand and say, let me show you the right way to go. I believe that. But I also believe in consequences. If I live a dumb life, why would I expect it to go well? If God says these things will make you happy, these things will fulfill you, and these things will hurt you, and I'm doing all these things and ignoring these things, why would I think that I would have a happy, fulfilled life? If I don't teach my kids what God says, how to live life, why would I expect that they would live prosperous, fulfilled lives? So a lot of this is just the natural way of life. And then in Deuteronomy 32, Moses came with Joshua and spoke all these words to all Israel. He said to them, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Choices and consequences. Life and prosperity. Death and difficulty. He said, I've given you, Joshua, I've given you the key to success and prosperity. You must live it. Then in chapters 23 and 24, we see how Joshua passed this heritage on very powerfully to the nation of Israel. Some of them followed it, and some of them ignored it. Be careful to do all that is written in the law of God said God to Joshua. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success.